Chattahoochee, copyright 2023, by Randy Cooper. All rights reserved. No parts of this podcast may be used or reproduced by any means without the expressed written permission of the author. Chattahoochee, Chapter 13. I was fishing with Juan Ramirez. It was just before dawn, and a fog was hovering over the water. As we cast, we were speaking about Cantura, the way of life in the village in Mexico where he was from. I was speaking perfect Spanish effortlessly and was understanding Spanish without translating into English, but rather understanding it in my mind. Juan explained that women in the United States had loose morals. In his village, women don't have sex until they are married. Marrying a virgin isn't uncommon. It's expected. Juan explained he was ready to return to Mexico to find a wife and start a family. When he marries, he expects to marry for life. He doesn't like that Norte Americanos divorce and remarry two or three times. He doesn't like how married couples are unfaithful to one another. He especially doesn't like the predominance of television, computers, and video games in the lives of children. He has decided he will not raise his children in the United States under such influences. He tells me life in Mexico is like life was in the United States during the 50s. The cantora was simple. The man works, the woman takes care of the hogar y los niños. His children will never look at music videos that glorify murder and drugs. Soon, I'm thinking about taking off to Mexico in search of mi propia esposa. I climbed up the bank of the river and walked into a small clearing. I saw a hooded figure beckoning me closer. The face was dark. Suddenly, I was seized by both of my wrists. I fought but could not break free as I was tied to the trees with rope. My hands extended straight out from my sides, my feet bound as well. I looked down and I was naked. The figure looked at me laughing and turned to his left and I saw Meredith Boxster standing there naked. Her body was pale and bloated, covered with leaves and dripping brown water from the river. Her hair was matted to the back of her head with blood, and she walked slowly towards us, but her eyes were fixed on me. Craig, Craig, she called. Help me, Craig. She walked up to the figure who pulled her in front of him, facing me. He was holding her by the forehead, and he produced a silver knife from behind his back. At that moment, my ears began pounding loudly. Night became day, and it seemed like the sun was burning my skin. The wind began to blow, and I was watching him in the middle of a sandstorm. The edge of the knife was like a mirror, and the sunlight caught it and blinded me momentarily. I heard him start to laugh, and saw him put the knife to her throat. I struggled, I screamed, but nothing came out. I saw the knife begin its horizontal journey from one side of her throat to the other. As the knife slid along her throat, darkness and quiet returned, so I could hear her scream, but it changed to a gurgle when the knife passed over her larynx. He pulled her head back, proudly showing me he had nearly decapitated the girl, cutting all the way down to her spinal cord. Her naked breasts were washed in bright red blood that was dripping from her and running down her legs. 
The figure spoke to me, but the voice was such I couldn't tell whether it was male or female or young or old. You're a fuck-up, Greg. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. You can't do a damn thing but watch. Watch this, Craig. He carefully lifted Meredith's body and brought it and laid it at my feet. I looked down and saw Meredith looking up, piercing my eyes. I heard her, not with my ears, but with my mind. Craig, help me. Behind me, a group of people appeared. They were angry and started screaming at me. I recognized Tyra, Lieutenant DiNapoli, and Mr. and Mrs. Boxter. I saw my old shop teacher from high school, a man I felt was raised just to hate me. My ex-wife was there, and my son. Everyone was screaming at me at the same time, and I couldn't understand what they were saying. And then as suddenly as it started, it stopped. It was so quiet I could hear birds singing. In the woods, coming from the same direction Meredith had come, I saw Kelly Davidson. She was pale and naked, her face and neck far more bruised than when I saw her last. Come here, my love, she called. I saw the hooded figure come from the opposite direction. No, I yelled. Don't. Come here, sugar. She was giggling. She didn't see me. She was looking at the figure. I felt like a voyeur. When they came together, they kissed. He turned her towards me, grabbing her by the forehead with the knife to her throat. She began to plead with him. Please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Stop, I yelled. Stop. I saw the knife begin its deadly journey once again. As the figure cut her throat, she became limp as her life left her body. Her eyes rolled in the back of her head, and he laughed the loudest, most sinister laugh I had ever heard. So loud, I thought it might burst my eardrums. He picked her up and carried her towards me. This is for you, Craig. He laid her down at my feet directly on top of Meredith, virtually stacking one body on top of the other. Her eyes opened and began looking straight at me. I heard her speak to me, not out loud, but in my head. Craig, help me, Craig. The figure was right on top of me, silent, breathing, the red eyes closed in the darkness of the hood. You're a fool, Craig. You can't do shit. These two girls are dead. There will be more. I woke up screaming and my pillow was wet with slobber. I was in the office early Monday morning, but not early enough to beat Tyra. I was wondering what was up. She didn't say a word to me, and when you know you're having problems with a woman and she doesn't want to talk about it, something major is cooking. My suspicions were confirmed the moment Lieutenant DiNapoli got in and she pranced her fat ass in there to snitch on me. My only question was exactly which of my many points of deficiency she was going to highlight. I didn't have to wait long before the door opened and the LT stood there glaring at me, one hand on each side of the door frame. First thing in the morning and he already looked like he'd been through ten rounds with Evander Holyfield. I assumed he was preparing to ask me to confer with him. Dvorak, get your ass in here. Assumption correct. Tyra didn't even make eye contact with me. It reminded me of jurors who refused to look at the defendant when they pronounced them guilty. I sat down in the chair and the LT closed the door. Detective Dvorak. He walked around the desk shaking his head. 
I knew this was really big. Calling me Detective Dvorak is equivalent to my mom using my first, middle, and last name. It seems we got a problem. I remembered my lesson from our last meeting and remained quiet. Your partner tells me you use a fucking pain in the ass. Not using those words, of course, because the nice Christian lady that she is. I now have made a vow of silence like a monk, although I wanted to scream out in my own defense. Now what in the hell did you have in your mind going off on your own like that? I'm biting my lip now to keep my mouth shut. Yous go off and do stuff without your partner. You see, in the old days, we would have handled this shit in the locker room. I just kicked your motherfucking traitor ass is what I do. And I call you traitor, Dvorak, because that's what you are when you leave your partner out in the cold like that. Do you know why you have a partner? It's to share an investigation. We partner junior investigators with more senior investigators. And what happens is, is that the junior investigators see they learn things. And the senior investigators, they might see stuff from a different perspective with this rookie tagging along. Might pull his head out of his ass and keep him from getting stuck in some rut. See partners, they discuss the case together and use one another as a sounding board. Now, I'm not making this shit up, Dvorak. This has been going on for 200 years of policing. Are you hearing me? I just nodded. How could I not hear? The whole floor could hear this ass chewing. And now you want to come along and be John Wayne. His volume is increasing and my lip is bleeding. I want to say something so bad. You see, John Wayne dies at the end of the movie. You end up dead. Chances are you aren't going to be able to catch the bad guy and I need a new investigator. Do you understand the investment we made in you? Some days. Most days. I think you're as dumb as a box of rocks. But some people around here are impressed with you. You see, they don't give a shit how you got to the answer, but I do. I'm like the math teacher you had in school. It's important to show me how you got the answer. Not just pat you on the head and give you a gold star if you happen to stumble upon the right answer. Do you know why? He's screaming at me now. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. It's because if you don't follow the proper investigative procedures next time, you might not be so fucking lucky. The next time, it could cost you a body. Somebody might die. This is our business. We ain't tracking down paper pushers and car thieves. You know this, right? We hunt people who kill people. This is no fucking game. And I'm sick and tired of you treating it like one. Using your whiny ass bullshit. I've had it up to here with you, Dvorak. You think you're in it alone? You're not. Number one, you's got a partner. Number two, you got me. And true me, you have the resources, the entire fucking department. Hell, the whole fucking state. One call, I get a specialist from the FBI, anything you want. One phone call, I can put as many people on this as we need. Surveillance, SWAT, bomb squad, you name it. One fucking phone call, I can get the damn National Guard down here if I need them. Tanks, helicopters, armed troops, you just say the word. I couldn't believe how much I was enjoying this pause. Another thing, you've taken this all on yourself, it ain't good for you. All of us have to deal with the facts of life of this business. We deal with dead people and grieving families. It ain't no fucking fun. No one enjoys this part. You see, but we're all they have. We ain't Superman. We're human beings trying to do the best fucking job we can. And yeah, I push you. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because you're a damn good cop and I want you to get better. Now this is unbelievable. I should have taped this. 
Silence fills the room, and I bask in the sunshine of the compliment that was just bestowed upon me. I don't like this kind of problem. It gives me concern for you. You like my children. That's it. I'm wiring myself every time I step foot in this office. No one would believe this shit. I want you to go see the police psychologist. Holy shit! The rug just got pulled out from under me. Totally off the record. This is a request. You don't want to go? Fine. I'll make it in order and I'll put it in your file. Yeah, right. Some request. I think you's going to feel better once you talk to the doc. I got you scheduled for one o'clock. Dismissed Dvorak. And I walked out without saying a word.